that I'm talking today about change. The question that I normally find myself asking when I do a talk on personal transformation is the question of who are you becoming? Who are you changing into? What kind of person are you becoming? And what's quite interesting about that question is I've realized that it might not be the most important question to actually ask. Because I think there is actually a slightly deeper, more important question to ask. And this question is, do you believe that people change? And do you believe that you personally can and should change? That's an important question. Think about it for a moment. Do you believe that people can change? Do you believe that you can change? And do you believe that you need some changing? Those are really important questions. I had a conversation uh, not long ago with a person, and we were talking about some habits that we've got in our lives, and it was a fascinating conversation, and we realized that for both of us, we've got some habits that we don't really want, and we want to get rid of them, and we wish we didn't have them. And, uh, or, and, and at least I thought that this person wanted to get rid of the, the habits. So at the end of the conversation, I sort of, without even thinking, said, you know what, that can change, by the way. With the help of God, you can stop doing that. And I remember looking at the person who looked back at me, think of the blankest look you can imagine looking back at you. Like, change? Why would I want to change was the kind of sense I got back from this person. Why would anybody want to change? This is who I am. I have no intention on actually changing. It's a case of trying to get my world around me to adjust to the fact that this is me. <laughs> and if you can't deal with me, you're going to have to find a way because I am who I am. And there's not much chance of change. And I think that for many people, we do view change and transformation a little bit like that. And we don't fully understand that the Bible's teaching teaches that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, change is part of what you embark on. Your journey becomes a journey of transformation. What Paul writes to the Romans in that passage is that we are going to be transformed. You ought not to look like you looked the day you put your faith in Jesus. Things ought to change. We'll talk about that. But I suppose the question might be asked is, why are people resistant to change? Why are you and I resistant to change? Why don't we like changing? I think for some reasons, here are a few. Maybe we don't like change because it feels offensive. We go, why would I change that? Maybe it's not actually that bad. And, and, and we, we, we're offended by the thought that someone, even God, might want to change what we've been up to. For others, it might feel a little exhausting. Exhausting. You're like, I have tried this before. Or I just know how hard it is to change people, and I'm not sure I want to change. For others, it might seem futile. In other words, not just exhausting, I've tried and it doesn't work. Why would I bother anymore? Is it worth even pursuing change? I think it's a waste of time. For others, we've become liars. Now, let me explain a liar by reading what Neil Postman, he says this, the, uh, this overload of information. So we get so much information that we think we're changing, but we're actually not. 
Because we read about change, because we learn about how people change, because we've got so much information at our fingertips and we understand so much, we think we're changing, but we're not. We become what Neil Postman calls liars. He says this overload of information produces in us a low information to action ratio. Think about it, a low information to action ratio. So much information, so little action or transformation. In other words, we become liars, L-I-A-R-S. You get the acronym, low information to action ratio. We know everything about that which we can do nothing about and almost nothing about that which we can do everything about. We know how to fix you know, the, the broken parts of our business. We know how to you know, earn a little bit of extra money. We know how to motivate our kid a little bit more. We know so much about so much and we can, at the click of a, of a button, get more answers. But it's amazing how little we know about how to change our heart, how to change our desires, how to change those nasty habits that keep coming up and hurting us and hurting others. We have opinions about politics and doctrine and sports teams and the lives of celebrities, yet we often fail to notice the tension in our spouse's eyes, learn our neighbor's names, or see the stress of our coworkers. We know everything, but we do nothing. Doesn't that speak quite well to the kind of world we're in and how we uh, often can find ourselves knowing so much but actually changing so little about the stuff that really matters? And I find it quite remarkable how much we know how to change and uh, we've become experts in our field. Many of you, you could uh, you know, tell me everything about your career and how wonderfully you do, but many of us don't know how to change the silly little habits of our day-to-day interactions with our friends, our spouses, our colleagues. We don't know how to stop being cynical and start being loving. We don't know how to get over our impatience or our bursts of anger. We don't know how to uh, become people of love and, and tenderness. We don't know how to forgive. Some of the most fundamental and vital things about what it means to be human, we don't have the crucial information or the ability to do. Jesus invites us onto this journey of transformation because he knows that who we're becoming is a better version of ourselves. But here's one of the things I think that is most terrifying about change, or most important about why we resist change, is that we are terrified. We're afraid. We don't want to change because in so many ways, the, 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 the thought of maybe losing some part of what we've built an identity upon could be taken away from us. I don't know what it is for different people. For some, it's like, you know what, if I really wholeheartedly embrace change, I might not be able to stare at my phone as much because I know that maybe on this device I am tapping in too much meaning out of social media. And if I embrace the journey of change with Jesus, he might ask me to let that go. That's a pretty uh, rudimentary example. It might be something that's got much deeper tentacles around our hearts, an addiction, or something that that tends to get right in and we go, you know, I would like to change, I just am afraid of what I might need to let go. One of the great leadership axioms I've learned is that people are not afraid of change. People are afraid of loss. We're not afraid of change. Change is as good as a holiday, but what if I lose something in the change? And we're afraid of losing something. And the invitation into the journey of transformation with Jesus is that we don't lose something, but we get something so much better. 
Jesus' invitation to us is he says, come, follow me, and I will make you into. He's, he's about making. He's about transforming. He's about putting something newer, deeper, richer into our hearts so that the change becomes a change of real value. How many of us, maybe if we are really brutally honest, we're not afraid of change. We're afraid of loss. We're afraid of what might get taken away in the change. And how deeply connected that is to who we see ourselves, how we understand ourselves to be. And that is some raw stuff. That is some real stuff. And not many of us want to face that. Paul, no doubt, would have been one just like this. He was a learned theologian. He had huge standing in society. For us to have got Paul into this space would have been, we would have packed out the auditorium. The famous Paul, the thinker, uh, who was coming in. He, his name originally, people knew him as Saul. He found his identity in synagogues around the, the, the kind of known world, and he was really renowned. He went under the, the teaching of a famous guy named Gamaliel, and for many of his, his years, he was persecuting the church, seeing himself as a person of such zealous favor and faith that he was doing God's will, and he was persecuting Christians, and he was getting them into prison, and really, this guy was drunk on a sense of uh, changing the world for good. Amazing. That's what he thought he was doing until Jesus comes into his life and he suddenly realizes what he thought was good has actually been very bad. And although all of his reputation and all of his impressive resume was actually not that impressive at all. And God slowly over time strips Paul of this amazing resume and starts to say, what really values is what I am doing and who I'm transforming you into. Wow. And Paul has this radical moment of, of change, but then he starts on a radical journey of transformation, which is why he can write this letter to the Romans and he can say, be transformed by the renewing of your mind because he knows he has been on a journey and he is being transformed. That has been his journey from a persecutor of Christians who was celebrating the stuff he was doing to suddenly realizing, I'm meant to be a servant of all people and I'm meant to be a person who gives myself. He writes, ultimately, some of his final letters from prison, trying to encourage Christians to become people of love and trying to uh, make sure that they are those who don't desert, who don't give up. He was deserted, and yet he remained a man of love whilst he stuck in a grimy Roman prison. This was a man who didn't just believe in transformation, he lived it, he embodied it. And he said, even when he wrote to the Philippians while he was in prison, he said, I haven't obtained all this change yet, but I press on, I, I strive towards the goal to which Christ has called me. He realized that change was work. It was not easy. If you want to change and you want to become a person who is like Jesus, you need to realize it is not going to drift down a river on a jacuzzi kind of uh, meandering and eventually you go, wow, I'm a man of sacrifice. Look at that. I just floated down the river on a, on a, a, a lilo. And now I'm a great person of love and sacrifice and patience and kindness and gentleness. doesn't happen like that. Paul calls us to a regimented journey of change. So what does this scripture teach us? Before we dive in, I want to ask you now, who are you becoming? An exercise we do at least once a year as a church. If you're new, you might not have done this yet. If you've been here for a while, you've done this, but I want you to do it again. And I want you to try to do this every now and again. Go back to last Wednesday. 
or Thursday. Pick a day in the middle of the week, a day that's pretty stock standard. Go back there as best you can remember. Okay, you woke up. Remember it. Maybe you want to close your eyes. might help you. Don't look at me. You need to look at your day. You woke up. How did you feel the moment you opened your eyes? What was the first thing you turned to? Who was the first person you spoke to and what did you say? Did you grumble a greeting? Was there joy in your heart or was there dread for the day? What was the first thing you read? What was your first long engagement, pattern of thought for at least 10 minutes or more in that morning? What did you eat? What did you drink? What were you feeling for most of that morning? What did you do in the trip if you drove somewhere or if you moved towards work or school or play or whatever you were doing? What did you do when you went there? What were you thinking about? When you got there, how did you interact with your colleagues? Did you feel like you were growing in a sense of trust and love or were you growing in frustration and angst the longer you were at your place of vocation? By the end of the day, what did you thought about most? What did you longed for the most? What did you desired most deeply? When you got home, how did the people who you got home to experience you? Were you a person of joy or were you fairly grumpy? What was the last thing you thought about before you went to bed? What was the last thing you engaged with before you went to bed? What was the last thing you longed for before you shut your eyes and fell asleep? Now, imagine you lived that day over and over and over. Who would you become? If you did that day repeatedly over and over and over and over and over, would you become a person who loves more who, becomes a per- who, who, who looks more like Jesus in courage and sacrifice, in tenderness and patience? Or would you become a person who is increasingly distancing from the world, increasingly angry and grumpy, increasingly disillusioned by people? Who would you become? Because those habits are going to eventually shape who you become. So what does Paul teach us? I'm going to try my best to go through this passage And ask the question, how do we become transformed into the image of Jesus? Here's the first thing I think we need to realize. And verse 2 teaches us this. If we can put the scripture up. It says this, do not be conformed to this world. Next slide should highlight that part. And simply this, our society is not neutral. This is something you need to understand. You don't live in a world that is neutral about your transformation. I.e., if you just sit on a lilo in society, you're not going to stay the same. You will be changed into a different kind of person. You will be formed into a person who learns to love certain things, behave in certain ways, and in a hyper-individualistic, hyper-consumeristic society, you are going to be formed into the kind of person who learns to potentially look after self, consume more, think you deserve and are entitled to more. That's the general kind of uh, song of our society. 
Paul is writing and he's saying, don't be conformed to the world. That word conformed is don't take on the pattern of the world. Don't let this world pattern what you love and who you are and how you behave. You are not called to that. And our society is not neutral. It has an agenda for what you are becoming. So if you just are unintentional about who you're becoming, you will become something. Take a moment to sink into that. You will become something. David Foster Wallace says it like this. He says, there are two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish who happens to be swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, morning, boys, how's the water? The two young fish swim on for a bit, and eventually one of them says to the other one, what the hell is water? Yeah, they don't even know they're in it because they're fish. What the hell is culture? What do you mean society? Does it really have any impact on who I'm becoming? Really, am I being formed into something if I'm not doing anything? I just wake up, eat my breakfast, listen to the news, read the paper, do a few things. Are you telling me that's forming me? Yes, it's forming you. Every time you read the paper, every time you check social media, every time you engage with something, you are being told what to love and how to love it and how to behave and how the world works and you are being formed into to a person who is learning to behave in a certain way. You are being formed. Culture is not neutral. The next call then is that we are called to conform to something. What's the biblical teaching? Who do we conform to? The Bible says we conform to the image of Christ. We're called in the New Living Translation. It says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. We're called to become a new person. You see, what happens when you put your faith in Jesus is this incredible experience. You should almost be able to go, I remember the day or the week where my heart came alive. I can literally remember. Maybe it was a few months. You just, your conscience was, was, was revived. Your awareness of God became so clear. Your desire to be with God was enhanced. If you haven't experienced that, I, I pray that you do soon. There's this sense that God comes and lives with you and you get your conscience retrained and you have a, a new sense of who you are and, and everything begins to become new. The Bible says that not only that, God gives us a whole new heart. It's a heart that's made for eternity. We're called to live in that way, but we still got old bodies. We still got these old bodies with old habits that need old uh, things and, and old desires to be fulfilled. And there is a clash of worlds. Each day we wake up, the old self says, I want this. And the new self says, you need this. I want this. You need this. And we live in this tug of war within ourselves, knowing what we need, but also understanding deeply what we want. And Jesus invites us on a journey of transformation to learn to coach our hearts and to coach ourselves into finding what we actually need. That's what transformation is about. So what do we need? Who are we to become? I've said we're to become like Jesus, but that, you know, you learned that in Sunday school. You knew that one. Maybe some uh, longer reading of scripture, you'll see what kind of person we ought to become. My favorite probably is Galatians 5, verse 22, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. That's probably the ideal if you're going, oh, what? just give me some clues. Where should I be heading if I'm thinking transformation? Here's a good place to start. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Somehow, more and more, as days pass, you should wake up as a person of more love. 
not gooey-gushy feelings. I'm talking about Jesus' kind of love, the kind of love that is able to, to courageously care for people, who even uh, at times needs to confront people in love, who is able to tenderly move towards the broken and the, and the hurting. You, you're becoming a person of love, but, but also joy, because Jesus is the embodiment of joy. Don't think of Jesus as like a neat little moral dude who walked around and never did anything naughty. He was the heart of the party. He lived a joy-filled life, and he models and embodies joy. The scriptures say that it was by the word of God that he created the world. That means that the lilies and the, the mountains and the waves that crash, are, they are created by Jesus, and he is a God of joy. He smiles over us. The Bible says that he rejoices with singing. We have a God of joy. If your joy is decreasing, you might not be growing into the image of Jesus. Peace. The Bible talks about this word shalom. It's like a, it's an ability to find peace in a world that is so peaceless. It's so restless. It's so agitated. It's so unhappy with how we are, and it wants to always find something externally. And the scriptures teach that we can be a people of peace in God, that in Jesus Christ, as he gives us his righteousness, and we know that we're right before God, and that there is nothing that we can do to make God love us more. A, a real transcendent peace washes over us, and the years and the decades prove us to become a people of peace. Patience, kindness, gentleness. You know what that's like. We don't always live it, but we want it. Goodness. That's a good man. He's a good man. She is an amazingly good woman. Wow. You just, it's goodness. It's goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control is the ability to say to oneself, I will not. I have, know what I want to say. I know what I want to do, but I won't because it is not beneficial for them, for me, and for the glory of God. I have control over myself. That's who we're becoming. Jesus is the embodiment of this, and that's what transformation looks like, is to say, I want to become like that. You with me? Keen on some transformation? Sounds pretty good, right? Who doesn't want that? You can just write on that list and don't shout it out, but which one of those don't you want? Who doesn't want love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness? We want those things. If we don't, you know what my prayer for you is? Is that you first and foremost, you see who Jesus is that you understand the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus, that he's given us the love we don't deserve, the forgiveness we don't deserve. And once we understand the gospel message, this stuff makes a whole lot more sense. And, and we'd love to journey with you. If, if you're finding yourself going, you know what, I'm not sure about this Jesus stuff, you're in the right place. We really do want to journey with you to help you to journey with us in this transformation process. Okay, so how do we start the journey of, of, of transformation? Well, we keep reading what Paul teaches, and I think there's three things. We behold, we hold off, and we hold on. Firstly, behold. Behold. Behold means to gaze upon, to think upon, to, to embrace something. Think of how Paul writes, and he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You renew your mind by putting before it something that trans, uh, transforms it. 
You, you renew your mind. Maybe you go, you know, I just love climbing mountains and looking down. You, you're renewing your soul. But Paul writes and he says, be transformed as a person by renewing your mind, by beholding that which is good and noble and faithful and trustworthy. You are called by the scriptures to behold something fresh, to behold something new, to behold God. You and I were made. The interesting thing about us as humans is that we spend so much time searching around, trying to find beautiful things to behold, trying to find things that we can love and cherish and fall in love with, whether it's waves or people or uh, companions or careers or cash. We're looking for stuff that we can behold and go, that is good. Oh, I found it. And we just never do. We always, as every human being, we tend to try find in creation what creation was never designed to deliver. Creation was always meant to be hundreds upon millions of little mirrors that we were meant to look at and it was meant to deflect us upwards to go, oh, not creation, creator. He's the one who is the true love of my heart. He's the one who is truly glorious. He is the one who makes me feel like a man, who makes me feel like a woman, who makes me feel strong, who gives me the identity that I truly need. This stuff that I'm looking at and I'm looking through the mirror is actually ending up disappointing, letting me down. Paul writes again in 2 Corinthians talking about beholding. He says this, and we all, with unveiled faces. He's taking an Old Testament uh, picture where you, know, you couldn't go into the, the Holy of Holies. You couldn't quite see God. There was this, this veil that was between God and the people and the priests. And he says, this veil has been taken away. Now we contemplate the Lord's glory. We can see him. When Jesus died on the cross, the temple curtain was torn in two. And now we who behold the Lord's glory are being transformed into uh, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Here's your first task, if you want to be transformed, is that you need to learn to behold him and to coach and to learn yourself and to coach your heart because your heart, says the Scriptures, is deceptive beyond all else. Your heart is so sneaky. My heart is so amazingly clever at trying to deceive me. I go, oh, you know what? I, I, it, for me, I think the best one in our suburbs is kids. I go, no, I just love my kids. I just love them. But deep down, we're finding so much identity in them that it becomes a version of idolatry. And if our kids are doing well, we're doing well. If our kids aren't doing well, we're not doing well. And the scriptures teach us that that's idolatry. We're called to take a step back and to see them as good things, but not God things, and to love them as God's creation and to allow God to love us so that we don't idolize things like that. And we can turn the most ridiculous things into idols, whether it's cash or careers or companions or whatever you want. We turn it into idols. They grab a hold of our hearts, and then we start to justify them in all kinds of creative ways. Don't be deceived by your heart. Learn to look at it and say, your, you heart, you're not meant to be longing for that. You're not meant to be longing for a beer on a Friday night that's going to save you. It's just not going to deliver. Even though you've thought that for 10, 15, 20 years, it's not going to do it this time just like it hasn't every other time. That's been my battle over years is to keep finding my heart going, that little thing, that little escape, it's going to do it for you. 
and you bring it before God, and you bring it before community, and you say, look how silly this thing is. I can't believe I trusted in that thing. I can't believe I believed that that thing, whether it was shopping, or whether it was my phone, or whether it was my reputation, I can't believe I let that thing become the thing I trusted in. It takes a little bit of introspection. It takes a bit of time. But you stuck with yourself for a long time. So face it. Stop getting so good at your vocation. Stop getting so good at your career. And start getting good at becoming a person who learns to follow and become like Jesus. So behold him. What are you beholding in the morning, the first thing you start off at? You checking your phone and checking the, the latest interest rates or whatever it is that you check? You checking Facebook to see who's liked last night's posts? It's shaping what you love and it's shaping who you become. So firstly, behold him. Learn again to behold the goodness of God. Secondly, learn to hold off. Stick with me here. This is the hardest one for me to preach, but it's probably the most important one for you to hear. Learn to hold off on certain things. Paul writes in verse one and he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He basically is saying, you know what? To follow Jesus is to take on the cruciform life. Following Jesus is shaped like a cross. That's the fact of the matter. If you want to take on the journey of following Jesus, which many people don't, but seems like most of you do, then you need to realize that it is about sacrifice. And it is about emulating the likes of Abraham who took their own son up a mountain, trusting that somehow God would revive this thing and, and, and would do something different. And as he took his own son up a mountain, God did deliver. But he was so willing, he had the ax up and he was ready to do what God had called him to do. And God in that moment said, I, Abraham, don't do that. He said, but now I know that there is nothing in your heart. There is no idol that you're holding on to that you love more than me. And God gave him a ram, which symbolized Jesus. And he said, now live the cruciform life continuously, day after day. Our journey feels a lot like you're taking something else up the mountain. One day it's your reputation. You go, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. But I'm doing it in faithfulness to Jesus. The next day it's a silly habit the next day, it's just your need for people to like you. And, and each day, it feels like maybe you're getting a little bit better, but you, you take these things up the mountain and you say, I will not let my heart long for things that, are, that it's not meant to live for. My heart is made to live for the love and the goodness of Jesus, to continuously live under his forgiveness. And each time, something is revealed in me that says, you're loving that thing. You're, wanting, you're trying to tap more meaning out of that thing than it's meant to. Go to Jesus. Let it go. Stop it. Hey, I, I can think of so many examples of people in our community who've had to say no to things. Whether it's, you know, a couple of days, you go, you know what, I've killed all my apps on my phone. I have no social media. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I do, but I know people who have done that for a while. Because by faith, they know their heart has been tapping too much meaning in that thing. That's their faith journey. They're going, I want to become like Jesus, and this thing is robbing me of my transformation. Other people go, you know what, I, I, my generosity factor's just been low for a while. We are saving heavily and we're learning to give a bit better because I am addicted to money. I, I know some people who've, who've just quit, uh, you know, some of the, the substances that are, for other people, it's just not a thing. But for them, they've gone, you know what, I need six months, I'm not touching a beer. Because it's their faith journey. It's their thing that they are doing. They are holding off because their heart needs to learn that it wasn't made for this thing. It was made for this one, the creator. Are you with me? Is it a little scary? 
Why is it scary? I'll tell you why I told you in the beginning. It's scary because we have our identity often connected to those activities. And we get afraid that if I didn't have my phone and I didn't see the little red dot at the top that says like, you're like a little piece of you is dying. But you know, like for about three weeks, you stop that and you never want to see another like button in your life. You like feel so free from that silly stuff because your heart realizes you're made for so much more and there's such a better love. Jesus was getting accused by the Pharisees. And they're going, why don't your disciples fast? Come on. And Jesus answers them. He says, can you make the friends of a bridegroom fast while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And in those days, they will fast. Here's the thing. He's looking ahead. He's going, I'm about to go. And right now, we're celebrating. They've got, you've got the best guy on planet Earth right with you. I'm not going to make them fast now. But at time's coming, they will fast. He's looking ahead at all of us disciples, and he's going, there's a time coming you're going to fast. When last did you fast? When last did you teach your body through just stopping food for a day or two to, that, uh, to realize that you weren't made just for carnal pleasure? You weren't made just to fill yourself up. Every time you're hungry, you just deserve to feed your appetites in any which way you choose. Fasting is, is God's reminder for our heart to actually go, you know what, heart, you don't get everything you want whenever you want. I got a buddy, and Nix and I had this habit, I don't know why we stopped it this year, we fasted every Tuesday. I got a buddy who does it relentlessly, he's been doing it for years. Every Tuesday, he, uh, he doesn't eat breakfast, and he doesn't eat lunch, and then he breaks his fast with his family in the evening. Why is he doing that? Because he wants to teach his heart that it doesn't always get what it wants. You can't have it, and you say no to it, and you learn to hold off on certain things. It's a faith journey. You have your life. You have your story. I've had amazing moments over the last five weeks of chatting with brothers and sisters who are choosing to hold off, who are saying, yes, in the name of Jesus, I know this is better for me, that I hold off and that I hold on to Jesus. Okay, that's my... Last point, hold on. Hold on. Once you've learned to hold off, you need to realize that you've also got to hold on. Sometimes the rewards are almost instantaneous. You just, you give up something. You, you say yes to Jesus in a certain area and it's like, wow, the lights come on and the joy floods back and there's that shalom and it's like, you can't believe how quickly it all happened. Other times it feels like the slog of a lifetime. You just press on. I love verse two here. He says, Paul writes, and he says, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Isn't this amazing? He's basically going, and I, I prefer the NIV because it says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's the thing. Follow Jesus, obey him, hold off when you need to hold off, behold as much as you can, and you become a living proof of the will and the wisdom of God. If you do nothing, you can listen to this talk. You know, you become a liar. You've got low information to action ratio. Yes, I heard a lot, but I did nothing. You don't actually get the privilege of testing and approving the wisdom of God. You just go, oh, I don't know if it's true. I've never tried it. But maybe you wake up tomorrow morning and you dedicate yourself to beholding God. And actually, maybe you take some time to, to consider what are those habits in my life that are actually hurting me from truly beholding and loving Jesus. It's distracting my heart. My heart is caught in a million directions, and I never know how to love anyone or anything because I'm loving all these silly created things. 
And you actually withhold yourself from it for a moment. You, you, you even confess it. Yes, you heard me. You tell someone. You tell your life group leader. You tell a Christian brother or sister that you trust and you say, I struggle with this. I did this with my life group on Monday, Wednesday night. Told them my struggles and said, guys, hold me accountable to this. I, I, I don't want to keep holding on to other things. I want to hold on to Jesus. Don't let me off the hook on this. They all looked at me and went, cool, let's do it. And we ended up, we're building relationships of people who are saying, let's learn to hold on to Jesus. Let's be honest about the stuff that we are holding off on. Still with me? A little scary? This used to be normal for the church. I think with, as society, which is not neutral, transforms us, we like, this is my private world. You don't get to tell me what I share and what I don't share. But actually, we need to learn to realize that a family is a people who learn to love each other into health, into flourishing. We are made for this. We are a people learning to love each other because of who we're becoming. Who are you becoming today? Maybe the band can come up, and I just want you to reflect for a moment on your life. Reflect on your habits. Reflect on the stuff that you're dedicating time and energy to, to improve. And then to ask the question, does any of that time, any of your best energy, get spent on asking the question, how am I becoming like Jesus? And if none of that time and none of that energy is being dedicated to how you are becoming like Jesus, you might want to reflect again. And, and, and to remember this, becoming like Jesus is to become like Jesus in his love. This isn't holding on with your own strength. This is remembering that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you had nothing. Your hands were wide open going, I have nothing. And John chapter 10 says, he took hold of you. And he grabbed a hold of you. And he says, those the Father has given me, I won't let anyone snatch them out of my hand. And he holds you so tight. And he won't let you go, says the scriptures. Neither height nor depth, angels nor demons, the present, the past, the future. Nothing in all of creation could separate you from the love of Christ, uh, the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are held. So you're made for love. You are in his love. You're, you, that's, not, that's not in question. You've got a father who holds you in his hands. By grace, you've been saved. This isn't about trying to catch the attention of God and go, look at me. I, I'm doing well. I'm changing. This is about a father who goes, come follow me and you will change. I'm holding you. We'll go together and we become a community who walk together in grace. So many of us think, I just need to fix this thing and then I'll really engage in community. Then I'll really give myself to these people. Baptism is the best example of this. You don't, you don't get baptized because you fixed your life. You get baptized because your life needs Jesus' grace. It's broken and you go under that water and you come out and you go, thank you, Lord. Many people wait to get baptized till their life is right, and then you've misunderstood the whole thing. Same is true of our faith journey and transformation. Come to Jesus, come to community, and we'll do this thing together. We'll change together. We are a seriously duffed up bunch of people. <laughs> You're in good company. You really are. The more we share it, the more we love each other, the more we learn to trust each other, and we build trust with each other. Oh, this is cool. We begin to become people with the fruit of the Spirit, being born a people of love, ready to change the city. Let's stand. Jesus, 
We commit ourselves this morning to that journey. We commit ourselves to holding on. We thank you that it won't all happen today, but we live in your love. We won't be totally changed today, but we are held by you. It's not about us holding on, it's about the fact that you held us first. For some of us today, it's, it's just that, it's that start. You, you need to let God take hold of your life. You want the transformation, but you can't have that until you've got this revelation that He loves you. He lived for you. He lived the life you could never live. He died the death you should have died. And now he's risen to bring about a whole new world. And he wants you in his world. He's the first fruits of a, of a new world he's creating. He rose again. He's alive. And that same spirit that rose him to life can come and live in you. Start new life in you. Start new transformation. Your task is simple. It's to say, here I am, Jesus. You're in your, in, under your own breath. You say, here I am, Jesus. I'm here to start this new life. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've been doing this on my own strength. I probably should have come to you sooner. But I, I want to give you the whole lot. I want to present my whole body as a living sacrifice because I see you presented your whole life as a sacrifice for me. So I don't do this to earn your love. I do this to receive your love. I give you all of myself. And I invite you to teach me and coach me and train me because I know I will make mistake after mistake after mistake, but you will hold me and I will hold you and we will walk together. And one day will turn into a month and a month will turn into a year and a decade will turn into multiple decades of learning to become a person like Jesus. As we sing this song, Jesus, I pray that we would realize this journey of transformation is not about more about us. It's actually learning to be more about you, to focus and fix our eyes upon you who's the author of our faith. So we do that as we sing. We coach our hearts that we can't have everything, but there is one thing we can have in increasing measure, and that's you. You have held nothing back from us. So as we sing, we feast, we gorge ourselves. We don't fast right now. We feast and we celebrate that you are love. Let's sing.